Day three in Stockholm. This was a busy one. We woke up early and went straight back to Gamastan for an 11 a.m. boat tour under nine bridges surrounding the Stockholm Islands. Now, Stockholm is made up of 14 islands and 57 bridges connect all those islands. We took a tour under nine of them via boat and it took us two and a half hours. That's pretty incredible. It just gives you an idea of, of how large the overall area is there and how impressive um, all that old architecture is to connect all of those islands to each other. Um, I personally am not much for touristy things such as boat tours, but this was an incredible experience and well worth a two and a half hour history lesson. Um, essentially, we traveled throughout the Baltic Sea and around most of the islands uh, within um, Stockholm with a guided tour in English uh, via a pre-recorded prompter, which was awesome. And the water was perfect. The sun was out. We were on a boat with too many other people, but we had seats um, and we had the the breeze blowing in. It was real nice. And um, again, had a two and a half hour guided tour. Uh, maybe you want to kind of take us around our yeah, our sure. tour in general. So it, it starts in uh, Gamlestan and talks about the history of Stockholm and how um, just how the city was built, um, why it's on a whole bunch of islands, how they defended it. Um, it went a lot into Viking history and how Vikings aren't necessarily the brutal, violent, barbaric pillagers. Yeah. That, that history kind of paints them to be. Um, and they were actually a pretty small force of people. When you look at the number of Vikings there were, it doesn't really make sense that they would basically go and taunt all of these other cultures, um, because they were completely outnumbered pretty much anywhere they went, but they did. And successfully, yes, (laughs) they're quite dominating for a very long time. Yes. Um, So that was really cool to hear about. Um, And just as you go around the islands, it talks about different aspects of Swedish culture, about um, how sustainability is a really big part of Swedish culture, why they value it so much. Um, They talked a lot about the neutrality of Sweden uh, during the wars and how that meant that they were safer, but being neutral means serving both sides if you're going to provide anything for one. So that was a really interesting perspective to hear about. I don't think it's something that we ever really learn about growing up in a country that was not neutral, um, that did take sides and that did fight. So I thought that was really interesting. It was. Just one example was that they essentially let the Nazis pass through basically just to not be invaded themselves. They kind of gave up some territory to say, hey, you can't stay here, but you can pass through. And obviously thinking of the Nazis and what eventually happened, it's, you know, it's not a good thing. Um, hindsight is twenty twenty. Hindsight is twenty twenty. I'm I'm more saying that Sweden took the high road of saying, we don't want to get involved. And in order to not get involved, we're essentially going to um, avoid conflict. Now, they also mentioned that that was, there's obviously pros and cons to that mentality in mm-hmm. general. Um, but that's what they decided to do to, to stay neutral. Also something that they had mentioned is the focus in Swedish culture, um, for generations of gender equality, Yeah, which I thought was so impressive. Um, I think they made a, a comment, um, about in their government, Swedish government, that 
women make up at least 50% um, of the governing bodies, which is incredible. Um, and uh, they, they have a very um, even uh, percentage uh, in pretty much any field uh, around Sweden. Of course, some, some uh, jobs are more maybe dominated one way or another uh, just because, but it's not necessarily because of regulation. Maybe mm-hmm. it's more of a, of a preference, which yeah, I thought that was really it's cool. It's the only place I noticed at least that there were female identified people on um, in law enforcement on the, in the Royal patrol guard or, or soldiers. Yeah. At the Royal palace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I in was going to, the first one we saw was a woman. I was going to mention that actually earlier when you, when you said that, but yes, you're right. The first guard that we saw was a woman and I'm, I wouldn't fuck, fuck with, with her. her. <laughs> For <laughs> she real. She was a badass. She was a badass. And and when you mentioned uh that, you know, people were you know, tourists being tourists trying to get close and like these people are fucking statues. It's weird that people other yeah, like, humans approach humans, them like and, and they have a job to do. Is real. <laughs> well, and they're working. Like this is a real thing. It's their job. You know? Um anyway, they this I I watched her literally stiff arm somebody yeah. and be like, dude, she was standing in her post and you could see this white ring, maybe, uh, I don't know what you say, four or five feet kind of in the circumference yeah. around her. Yeah. And it was clearly like, don't nobody's allowed in this. <laughs> yeah. And there was this lady who ran up to her trying to take a picture and the guard, I thought I was just going to shank her with the bayonet, but she was polite about it and stiff armed her out. But, um, you're right. I think that was, that was impressive, but that's something that I picked up. I just, Swedes are very much outdoor people, which we loved. Mm-hmm. Um, they're outdoors year round. Of course, we were there in the summertime, which was f- unbelievable. And like, everybody we talked to <clears throat> also commented on how uncharacteristically warm it was and how they were out soaking it up while they could. But it, but it's true. They are outdoor people year round. Um, one of the things I noticed while we were on the boat tour is that every shoreline you passed by was filled with people. Um, they're really big on parks. They're really big on beaches. Um, really big on forested areas, and it's really quite impressive how how frequently you come across spaces like that in such a big international city. And they also have some of the best winter sport athletes in the entire world. Um, next time you watch the Winter Olympics, just pay attention to how much. First of all, just you know, Scandinavia in general dominates, uh, but Sweden. Uh, more so than anybody else. Um, they've had, you know, just Olympic uh, Olympian um, skiers and uh, um, uh, what's it? Triathlon, not triathlon, but um, oh, the one, I forget what it's called, but the one where they're, they're shooting and they're, they're hiking. Oh, the biathletes? And yes. Sure. So anyway, they're, they're just extreme um, athletes. So I thought that was, that was really cool. Like you said, everybody was hiking, running, uh, jogging. We actually, um, uh, we'll, we'll get to it in a separate episode, but we actually, uh, came across like a half marathon, which was kind of cool yeah. running around town. So, um, we Boat had a really tour, good though. time. Yeah. Um, as, as we go along again, learning about history, we also learned about how, you know, in the industrial area or era, when housing became an issue, um, and food shortages started to happen, what the government in Sweden did instead of start rationing stuff out is they actually built community gardens around the city so that people had space. If they couldn't afford a home of their own, they had a space to grow food and help feed themselves and their neighbors. And those are still going really strong today. So that was really cool. 
Um, and the, the boat tour started in the Baltic Sea, and we actually got to go through an actual lock um, going from the Baltic Sea into Lake Malaren, I'm pretty sure is what it was called. So I had no idea what a lock was. Like um, the, the Camden Market is at a is called the Camden Lock. And it's actually um, like a gateway in a body of water that separates lake from ocean. And I'm still not entirely sure how it worked, but in the boat tour, we basically, they they open one gate um, because the, the water level in the lake is about a meter higher than the water level in the ocean. So they it's a series of two gates and they open one on the lake side so that... Um, the water levels even out a little bit and then you enter it and then they close that gate and then they, op- they wait for the water levels to even out again. And then you go through that. And, um, the science of it, like when you're sitting there watching it kind of makes more sense, but also raises more questions. So that was just kind of cool. Like it's a science that's been around for a couple hundred years. I don't get it. Somebody obviously got it at some point and it's solid enough that it's still working for them today, but, um, they, you know, we, we got to go around the lake, um, and see all sorts of stuff. How about the carnival? Yeah. The carnival, the, the permanent carnival that's have, just there. They have a year permanent round. carnival that's bigger than any carnival I've ever seen. And it's just there all the time. And we, we drove by there. We also dro- drove, uh, we also were over the part of the sea that, the Vasa sank, which mm-hmm. we'll get to the Vasa, the ship um, that sank. We'll get into that later as we went to the museum. Um, but we kind of went over that territory and it was pretty incredible for them to basically be like, on the left is the Vasa Musee, which is the, the museum for the ship. But where we are on the water right now is where it actually sunk. And it's funny because you like a, really briefly, the story of the Vasa is that it was the biggest the best um, new warship of its kind that the king commissioned these shipbuilders to make. And throughout the process of building it, it had like the most guns, the biggest guns. Um, They realized once it was nearing completion that it was unbalanced. It was top heavy and that it wasn't going to sail, but everybody was super embarrassed about it and didn't say anything to the king. So on its inaugural Maiden voyage. Maiden voyage out into the ocean. It made it a couple hundred yards and then sank to the bottom. And they just kind of left it there until they decided to bring it up and build a museum out of it. And you hear that story and you're like, oh, that's interesting. But it sometimes it's kind of hard to visualize a couple hundred yards. But we're literally like, I could have swam to shore. Yeah, yeah. It's, it if I even, really put some effort into it. Totally. So. It was, and not to fast forward too far, but once we got into the museum to see the ship and you see the, the, how big this fucking thing actually was <laughs> it was incredible that it was even there so um that i thought that was really impressive as well but again we're everywhere we look like it's just in some in some element i felt like i was just like in a fishing boat like yeah out on a lake and looking back at shore right like we live in in eugene so any eugene people listening it's like it was like being in fern ridge Mm-hmm. which is like a reservoir, right? And we're just out there fishing for the day. You look back and there's the shore. But then you think to yourself, like, I'm in the Baltic Sea. And, you know, uh, a couple hundred years ago, what I'm looking at was the entire country of Sweden, which was Gamlestan, essentially. Um, Stockholm was the country until they took over all the other territories. 
So it's just when you put that grand scheme mindset on it, it like blew everything else out of proportion for me. It was just an interesting thing to like be traveling around. And that's just how it is. Like the mode of transportation for, for them, for the most part, is Boat. by water. And we just don't have that here. So I, I yeah. thought that was that to me was so kind of surreal, um, but I really enjoyed it. We had a great time. I, I really, really valued and appreciated the um, the uh, guided tour. Yeah, I was- highly recommend if you um, have the chance. Again, like Sky said, he's not super into really touristy activities. And being an introvert, I think that um, like day-long guided tours where somebody's talking at you and you go from one place to another with a group of people all day long would not be my thing. But if you ever get the chance to do a tour where you sit there and listen to something like that, it's such an amazing way to not only slow down and relax, but actually passively learn about the culture. Um, Emily took a nap for part of it, but it was just being out on the water was really nice. And it was pre-recorded, so it was kind of just, it was a bit stale-ish, but it wasn't hokey. Right. You know what I mean? Like the. The whole time, I was like enthralled by the history. I was like, "Oh, cool, that happened," or "How did this happen?" And then they would answer the question. And it was fairly up to date. Yeah, it was like, "Look to the left, and you'll see this. Look to the right, and you'll see this." And I was just like, "Damn!" So anyway, that was it. Was one of the the coolest guided tours I've ever ever been on. So that was pretty much our afternoon. Um, The uh, Under the Bridges tour Mm -hmm. uh, was phenomenal. Highly recommend it. I would, I would we went to our company with Strollman, S-T-R-O-M-M-E-N, something like that. I would definitely check it out. Um, we kind of hung out down in that area to uh, get some lunch, and then we headed back. Um, and for dinner, this is the first oh, time. Yes. This is the first time that we actually, other than Grandma and I going to um, IKEA for for uh, the shopping um, for the flat in London. This was the first time that we actually met her work group. So can you, we mentioned it in the prep episode, yeah. but we're a few episodes late if people are just tuning in. Can you please recap uh, quickly why we even went to Europe in yeah. the first place? So my mom works at the University of Oregon in a flagship program for international studies. And a lot of what they do is um, work with students going on exchanges for internships as part of their degree program. So in Stockholm, there is a group of students, not just from the University of Oregon, there were other students there from um, Singapore, Spain, Italy, uh, a few places in the Middle East. They're doing internships at businesses in Stockholm for various things. There were a couple of people there working on um, their degree was international business, but they were, it was a fashion internship. So they were helping fashion companies with various aspects like social media or uh, other stuff like that. So we hosted a dinner for them so that my mom could connect with them. One of the, the objectives of the trip was to see how the internship is going, what the housing accommodations are like. Um, and if there's anything about being in Stockholm that that they weren't prepared for or wish they would have known more about. And basically our, we kind of had to wear the hat for the day in Stockholm to like Emily, for example, who's Mm -hmm. high school age. um, She had to kind of be like, okay, like you're, you know, not a child very young, but you're youth and you're traveling with somebody like, how is it for you to adapt to this uh, foreign country? And then for Amber and I, it was like, okay, well, parents sending their children away. Totally. Yeah. Or just, just, 
people. Like you're, you're learning the language, you're learning the transportation. How is it for you? And, and so we had to kind of, you know, put on that hat and had a great time, met some cool people from all over, all over the world and, uh, met a few, um, met a few gals who are actually students at the U of O who live in Eugene, but they've been living in mm-hmm. Stockholm since June. Uh, so they were actually there longer yeah, than it's us. A, it's a 10 week internship and they had been there for about a month and a half. Um, and Emily actually walked away super pumped on the idea that she might get to do that in college too. So she actually got contact information of, of at least one of them so that she can uh, quiz them later and ask them questions and hear more about their experience. So, right. yeah. So that's the whole reason we're pretty much in Stockholm to begin with. So we ended up at this dinner uh, to meet the team and we met at Omama Mia, which is a, uh, an authentic best Italian food ever. Authentic Italian food. <laughs> it was so good. I mentioned in our prep episode that my main objective to touring was like eating all of the food, um, which is obviously kind of tongue in cheek, but also kind of so true. Real. Um, my uh, my family background is very much Italian, and I was I was I, I grew up on pasta and pizza and grandma making gnocchi from scratch and things, and uh, it's a big part of my you know. Uh, livelihood and family growing up. So being, you know, closer to Italy than I've ever been and eating authentic Italian food was pretty incredible. And um, we knew it was authentic uh, Italian food when we ordered our dishes and the pizzas came out and the table started looking around like, oh, like they're not nobody sliced sliced our pizza. And I just kind of like facepalm myself. I was like, yeah, that's awesome. Like that's what you're looking for (laughs) because traditionally they don't. it's a pie. That's that's where the pie comes from. Nonetheless, the food was phenomenal. Um, we had a great dinner, and uh, after the dinner, um, we basically made our way back to uh, back to the flat and another couple of trains and buses, and we started getting our route down, which is nice. And we got back to the flat, and um, as everyone was cooling down, Emily and I played some BS, the card game, uh, which is kind of fun. Grandma jumped in and. Um, we had a good time and it was just kind of a mellow end to the night. But, um, you know, that, that the boat ride was really the highlight of the day, but kind of of the trip in general, that was a really impressive touristy thing to do, but I am so, so happy that we did it. Yeah. And that pretty much wraps up day three in Stockholm. All right. Day four in Stockholm started off very early for the kid and I, uh, Emily and I had made the decision the night before to, go up to the observatory I mentioned in a previous episode and see the sunrise. The sunrise in Stockholm was roughly, I think it was 4.20. Yeah, 4.15, 4.20, something like that. Anyway, we got up at 4 a.m. Emily was a total soldier. Um, I went in there to wake her up and she bounced out of bed, which is great because if you have a teenager That never happens. (laughs) If you have a teenager at home, that's not the case. But she was as pumped as I was. Mom and grandma decided to bail on that, which is fine. But Em and I got up at four, went a uh, hike down. Um, it's actually pretty warm and it was already kind of light out. It was crazy just being that north. Yeah, the sunrise is at like 4.15 a.m. this time of year and it doesn't fully set and get dark until midnight-ish. So Emily and I got up there. We checked out the sunrise, took a few pictures, enjoyed that, looked over kind of the other half of Stockholm that we hadn't adventured yet. Um, was really, really nice. Uh, 
had a great view of the city and the skyline in general. And we soaked that in and we got back to the flat at about four forty-five and went back to sleep. And, uh, we got up at 8am and we were fresh and ready to go. And, um, we accompanied grandma back to, um, her meeting. So on the previous episode, we ended with our dinner with her, uh, coworkers, if you will, but people mm-hmm. she was meeting for business there. Um, we had a dinner with everybody um, that was in, that in the group. Hammarby. Yes. Hammarby neighborhood. Right. And um, so we we kind of um, escorted her, accompanied her back uh, across town to get her to where she needed to be. And she was with them for pretty much the duration of, of the afternoon at that point. And then uh, Emily, Amber, and I were able to kind of trail off and do our own thing for the day. And um, after another round of fika, uh, yes. which again, if you missed it last time, brewed and salt, which is essentially bread and salt uh, in um, in Sweden. Do you want to give a, a very abridged version for the new listeners on this episode what fika is? Super dank coffee with really good baked goods. Absolutely worth it. Super delicious. Um, and we need to make the tradition of slowing the fuck down in the middle of the day. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, and like taking a pause, especially me. I'm somebody that doesn't. Is re- terrible. I never slow again. down. I never relax. Fika was like. So refreshing. Which, by the way, may I add, even though he did work on this trip, he didn't turn his phone on the whole time. Like it was on, but it was on airplane mode. And I have to say, babe, I'm I'm really impressed Thanks. that you were able to shut off that long as much as you did. It felt good job. It felt very good. It felt very good. Thank Sweets you. Are I, I I appreciate that. <laughs> so we had an awesome fika session, and uh, we uh, Emily and I ran into an organic salad bar. So we got a big old salad, which was so good to get some fresh veggies. Yeah, not a whole lot of fresh veggies on our trip. A lot of them, um, a lot of the vegetables we were able to find if we didn't go to like a supermarket or a vegetable stand and buy raw veggies were all cooked into other stuff or fried. So um, fresh veggies was nice. After brunch. Tunnelbana. The three of us went to the Tunnelbana, which is essentially the underground subway. And this was a long day, a lot of mileage, but one of the highlights of the entire trip, babe, take it away. Absolutely. So when I was researching Stockholm before we left, I came across the fact that um, several of the Tunnelbana stations, um, they commissioned artists to decorate. And some of them are done um, with a theme that relates to the geographical location of the station. Um, some of them relate to something having to do with Swedish culture, and then other ones are just kind of random. But I was really intrigued with this idea of whole underground train stations being these entire works of art. So I really wanted to just go take some Tunnelbana and explore. So that's what we spent a couple of hours doing. In total, there, I think, are 14 different stations that have art to varying degrees. We went to about seven of them. Um, and they're amazing that, so the tunnel bonus stations have three or four different levels to them, which we didn't realize until halfway through our exploration. So we missed a bunch of the art, but that's okay. Um, but it was, it was amazing to see, you know, you're underground, anybody who's taken a subway of any kind before kind of knows that there's like this certain quality of air and sound when you're that far underground, it's always kind of dark. Um, and and you step off of the subway or you come downstairs into the station from street level and it's totally not what you're expecting at all. There was one that was um, 
everything was painted like the sky and there were rainbows and um, there was, it was in relation to music in some way. And I don't remember exactly how there was one that was decorated kind of like, um, like Greco Roman pottery where it's, everything is white and they have these very um, delicate designs in blue. Um, And then there was one, which we actually put a great deal of effort in getting to that was (laughs) (laughs) um, because a couple of their stations were closed. So we had to take a roundabout way to get to the other ones, but there was one that was all tile and it was kind of like a throwback to video games. So there was, um, you know, Mario wasn't there, but there were some mushrooms and some clouds and some of the, the pipes that he disappears down and there was some Pac-Man stuff um, so that I think was a huge highlight to me, even though it was a really long day, it was really fun to like explore and find out where they are and, and figure out how to get there. And we spent literally three hours underground. <laughs> we did. Cause all we had to do was hop from train to train, underground, train yeah. to train. So yeah. we, we, we went in one train, cruised the, you know, to a station, walked around, go up and down and then, you know, basically take some pictures, chill, check it out. Um, and then turn back around and hit another one. And literally we were underground for about three hours all all told, which which was pretty incredible. Yeah. At one point, uh, Emily was practicing one of her dances from dance team down there. We've got a video of her in front of some of the Tunnelbana art. So that was fun. We had a really good time. And, and make sure you check out the Instagram page for lots of those pictures. We We – took a bunch of pictures of just, again, like the art down there was amazing. Mm-hmm. You're right. Some of them were like full tunnel themed, yeah, painted top to bottom on the walls. Others were just kind of like, I don't know, just what you would expect a, a subway tunnel well, to be and there with was... things like on each corner or on the wall. So when the train's in the stable, you can't see it. But when the train leaves, all of a sudden, like the whole wall is colorful or it's yeah. in tile or... They have gargoyle type statues hiding in different corners. And those are the ones where it would have been beneficial to go up a few levels because each level looks a little bit differently. So if you ever tour Tunnelbana Art in Stockholm, make sure you don't stay on the same level. Go up and explore what they have on other levels too. And one thing that was super cool, I only we only saw it one time, but there, there's the escalators are everywhere and the escalators are like... I swear they're like two, three hundred feet long. Like they're they, very they, steep, very too. long, very steep. But what is what was really cool is that one of them in particular uh, had kind of rainbow lights flickering up. So as the stairs escalated up, it kind of flickered a lighting kind of a, your way up a rainbow, a rainbow theme there. So that was really cool. Um, but we spent again three hours underground. That was a lot of fun. We eventually got out of the Tunnelbana and uh, went and got some dinner. Um, we had more Indian food. We had more Indian food, which, <laughs> which was delicious. Um, and honestly, we had Indian food again because I had been looking for this organic cafe that I found the first day we were there. And we passed it three separate times when Yelp said it was open and it was closed. And if you listen to our London episodes, you remember Amber saying that we essentially got laughed out of the bar by the bartender who was like, you guys use Yelp? What is this? Like, have you ever, yeah. Have you ever heard of Google? Like, you know, being. Hey, I used Google Maps the whole time. Exactly. So anyway, it was unfortunate we we couldn't find this uh, organic cafe that I was trying to get to. But right next door was another Indian spot. We went there, and once again, Indian food prevails. Yeah. Um, After that, we headed to Sildermom, 
which is the hipster neighborhood pretty much. You want to talk about Soto Mom? Southtown, Stockholm. Um, big up to my man Riku, a uh, good friend of mine from high school uh, who has spent a lot of time in, in Stockholm. He gave me some pointers. Um, Sodermalm is essentially the uh, hipster in our area. It's like the Portlandy area. I don't know. Um, kind of the more modern area. Now, a lot of Sweden and Europe in general is, is still traditional, kind of like ancient history. All the buildings are like phenomenal architecture and art and stuff. Södermalm, for what we saw about it in our brief time, there was kind of more, you know, still Swedish architect design, but more kind of like traditional what we would see. It's also uh, more colorful. I think, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Swedish style is pretty muted, monotone. um, Neutral. Very simple and neutral. um, And that is not how we were dressed at all. Oftentimes we felt like, at, at least I did, um, we were more colorful in our clothing than everybody else, and we were also kind of underdressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got to Sildermalm, and it was like, oh, no, this this is my neighborhood. I feel like I fit in here. Totally. So we made a couple laps around the area and then found Emily's, you know, one of Emily's uh, destinations that we came across, and that was um, Choklad Fabriken, which is a chocolate factory um, and we walked in there and they make their own chocolate on, on site there. And so we got some little niblets, um, had some very rich chocolate, which was delicious. We walked down the street to catch, um, really a breathtaking view of all of Stockholm. We were up on top the day before we had been down on the water looking up and now we're up on top looking down on the water. It was phenomenal. Um, so we got to see kind of Stockholm from south looking north, which was absolutely gorgeous uh, before the sun went down. And we could see all the channels that we had been boating in the day before that, the historic buildings, the park, the palace, um, et cetera. Um, it was a real nice overview of the city that we had been exploring for the past four days. And from there, uh, we caught our favorite number 53 bus. That took straight us home. took us straight home uh, to to the station, which was real nice. And all told, that day um, we traveled about eight miles. And again, I don't we know. walked about eight miles. Yes, yes, we walked eight miles. Traveled far more, but we walked eight miles. And over half of those guaranteed were underground. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we got home, and uh, Emily took it upon herself that night to whip up a stir fry for us which was uh, phenomenal. And that, goodness. yeah, that was really, have a kid who cooks. Absolutely. Totally. And (laughs) and it was, it was really, really good. Um, We had another great, great trip in uh, Stockholm. And unfortunately that would be our last full day in Stockholm until our our last full day. Right. But unfortunately it was, it was cut short a little bit with, uh, um, having to get to uh oh yeah you're right we had we did have one more day um and then we uh we get to amsterdam so um we do have one more and we're headed to deer's garden deer garden 